Hello, this is Joyce Chang, Chair of Global Research at J.P. Morgan Chase, and you're listening to All Into Account, our global cross-asset strategy podcast channel. This month, Women's History Month, we just published our annual report on the progress towards achieving gender balance, featuring more than 20 analysts from around the globe. We assess the challenges facing women as we approach the end of COVID-19 as a public health emergency on May 11th in the United States. Well, the good news here is that tight labor markets have lifted all boats and took the developed market female labor force participation rate to new highs and the unemployment rate for females to new lows in 2022. This reversed the historic drops in the female labor force participation rate that occurred during the height of the pandemic when one out of every five women in the U.S. lost their jobs. But unpaid care work continues to keep women out of the labor force. So this is very fragile progress as women continue to perform on average 76% of all unpaid care work. No country in the world has achieved equality in the distribution of unpaid care work. At the corporate level, female representation is making slow but some steady progress, particularly at the board level and in countries with mandated board diversity targets. Female CEOs at the Fortune 500 level finally reached the 10% threshold for the first time in history. But women of color are still dramatically underrepresented. And women in emerging markets account for only 5% of CEOs. The average gender pay gap across the OECD countries remains at double digits, 12%. And countries that have mandated gender pay transparency, however we point out, particularly for Europe and the UK, have made the most progress in narrowing the gap. Today, I am excited to introduce Sam Saperstein, head of Women on the Move across the entire J.P. Morgan Chase platform, to discuss the work J.P. Morgan Chase is doing on expanding women-owned businesses, bridging the funding gap for women founders, and how we are promoting women and girls' financial health. Well, Sam, welcome, and let me turn to you. As the world continues to open, more women are returning to the workforce and recovering the jobs that were lost during the pandemic. But even with this positive outlook, there are still ongoing challenges that exist for women around the globe, both at home and at work, particularly involving representation, career development and advancement, business growth, and access to financial health resources. So Sam, what is J.P. Morgan Chase doing to recognize, support, and advocate for women? Can you highlight some of the milestones for Women on the Move, which is celebrating its fifth year congratulations since being established? Thank you so much, Joyce, for being here and being able to discuss this with you. So our team, Women on the Move, is now five years old. And over the last few years, we've really looked at those issues, as you've outlined, that are affecting women the most. Everything from their careers and advancing in careers to their financial health in terms of their confidence and ability to protect their personal finances, as well as in their businesses, if they're entrepreneurs. And so we continue to work on programs across all of these things, which means we get to work with women both inside of our company, our employees, as well as women outside of that. And so we really take a special approach to understand where can we as a bank really take our resources, our network, every all of our people and make sure that they have the most impact again both inside and outside of the firm well that's great sam i mean just you know the impact that you've had over this five-year period where we've surpassed you know a lot of the targets um you know like well women on the move like how are you helping 
um, small business owners who really face some unique challenges in getting access to crucial capital, networking, advice, and expertise. So over the last few years, we've really looked at different ways to help small business owners, women small business owners, everything from content that we could put online and it could be accessed at any time. And more recently, over the last year and a half, we've moved toward individual coaching, where we're spearheading coaching sessions for women small business owners that they can do virtually at any time, uh, where they can meet with a coach to talk about their own business operations. So it's a very personalized very effective way to talk to someone about your own unique needs. And that's something that's reaching several thousand people now. So we're really excited about that. No, that's a really great initiative. Well, Sam, one thing that we have highlighted for a very long time is the large gap in the market where women founders receive less than 2% of venture capital funding in the United States. So what kinds of partnerships um, has Women on the Move established in order to try to address this funding gap? Yeah, it's a gap that we actually saw get a little bit worse last year. And so it's really not budging much above 2% of venture capital for women founders. And really for women of color, it's much worse. So we looked around to see which partners out there are trying to do something in the startup ecosystem and developed a partnership with Techstars. In fact, the firm overall has a fund with Techstars where we're setting up ecosystems in different cities around the US. So what Women on the Move is doing is working with Techstars on what we call pre-accelerator programs, catalyst founder programs, where we can work with women who might not yet have the full idea or a product, but we can help them in an earlier stage, launch a business, really create a product and get them prepared for funding. And the good news with this is we have seen a number of our applicants and, and participants in these programs go on to those full accelerator programs where they can raise even more money and get more help. So we thought it was a good way to really bridge a gap, try to get more women into that ecosystem and make sure we can specifically address the funding issue. No, those are really wonderful initiatives. You know, another key initiative has been improving financial literacy. Um, so can you tell us about the partnerships and the programs that you have in place for women's financial acumen in such a challenging economic environment? So we know women continue to feel not as confident with their finances. So we're really trying to, trying to address the knowledge that they have and then really try to see how they're saving more and investing more for their futures. And so we work with women directly through our own customer base and in our local markets, but we also have programs where we can get on the road and really go into local markets. One such program is with a group called Ignite. Ignite is a nonpartisan organization that tries to get more women into public office or considering government sector jobs. And so we're looking to train them again on the personal finance side so that as they pursue those careers, they feel well-established and confident. We also work with a group called the Women's Network, and that is a broad college-based group that's really trying to educate women at the college level so that, that as they become working adults um, and start their work lives, they already have a solid foundation of information. But we're always looking for ways to partner with colleges and to really access and reach girls even at younger levels because we know this need, this information, they have to have at really young ages. Well, thank you so much, Sam, for sharing your insights and what Women on the Move has been doing for the last five years. Let me now turn this over to Amy Ho from the Strategic Research Team to introduce the rest of the J.P. Morgan Research Team as they assess the latest trends focused on women of the labor force, 
the state of gender responsive policies post-COVID, the gender pay gap, and progress on corporate gender diversity at the board and the suite level. Thank you, Joyce. Despite the introduction of unprecedented gender responsive policies in both scale and scope in response to COVID-19, there is very little evidence of material change and entrenched structural barriers that have prevented women from joining the labor force, particularly related to childcare. More than 50% of the 1,600 gender responsive policies adopted in response to COVID-19 focused on addressing gender-related violence, and just 14% supported unpaid care. While one-third of gender-responsive policies aimed at strengthening women's economic security, just 7% provided support for rising unpaid care demands. Cash transfer programs were predominantly deployed across emerging market countries, but fell short of women's needs in scale, size, and duration. In fact, cash transfer programs were in place for just four and a half months on average. Yet, 2022 was noteworthy for women's re-entry into the labor market, reversing the historic setbacks of 2020 and 2021. Tight labor markets brought the U.S. female labor force participation rate to new highs and unemployment rate to new lows in 2022. The, la the latest data showed that the labor market for women in developed market countries has recovered more powerfully than and more fully than that of their male counterparts. Once schools reopened in September of 2021, the percentage of women re-entering the workforce picked up meaningfully, particularly for college-aged women between the ages of 25 and 54. We argue that there needs to be more focus and support on unpaid care work. As schools closed, women took on the additional responsibilities of unpaid care work during the pandemic. This is in addition to the fact that women already dedicate three times more time than men to unpaid care work. In fact, there is no country where women and men perform an equal share of unpaid care work. Yet the, the time devoted to unpaid care work has been shown to be largely negatively correlated with the female labor force participation rate. The World Bank and OECD estimate that a decrease in women's unpaid care work is related to a 10 percentage point increase in women's labor force participation rate. In countries where women spend an average of five hours on unpaid care activities, 50% of women in the working age population are employed or looking for a job. However, in countries where women spend three hours on unpaid care work, 60% are active in the labor force. The Institute for Women's Policy Research projects that gender pay equity won't be achieved until 2059. And based on the latest data, Korea has the highest gender pay gap globally at 31%, whereas Belgium has the lowest at under 4%. Overall, the average global gender pay gap across OECD countries was around 12%. Gender pay transparency reforms are now widely adopted as an effective policy tool to contribute to the reduction of the gender pay gap. So far, 22 countries within the OECD and across the EU have implemented some type of pay transparency reform. Reform-based studies find that pay transparency reforms reduce the gender pay gap in almost all countries with the UK and a number of the countries in the EU having seen material improvement in narrowing the pay gap since the legislation was introduced. However, there is still more work to be done in getting to gender wage parity. Now let me hand this over to Stella Xu on the strategic research team to discuss the trends she's seeing with women on boards and the C-suite. Over the past year, gender board diversity targets and quotas have seen material improvements globally. Female representation on leading corporate boards 
is greater than it was a decade ago, but gender diversity in the boardroom varies widely between countries. Mandating female representation on boards have shown to help improve gender diversity metrics. Nine out of the 20 countries in Altrada's Global Gender Diversity Report that have either mandatory or voluntary benchmarks for female board representation average 31% of female board members, compared to an average of 26% for the 11 countries without legislation. U.S. companies added women to their boards of directors at a slower pace last year compared to 2021. 50-50 women on board's fourth quarter 2022 gender diversity index shows that while women hold 28% of the Russell 3000 company board seats, uh, which represents a 1.7% increase year on year, the percentage of women joining corporate boards follows a downward trend. Last year, the percentage of women joining boards was 39%, which is lower than um, in 2019 and 2021, where we saw over 40%. In order to reach gender parity by 2030, however, the percentage of women joining boards on an annual basis need to surpass 50%. Pressure from shareholders such as State Street and uh, Vanguard has helped push companies to increase the share of women on boards. Despite a record number, only, uh, only 7% of board chairs and 13% of lead directors on boards are female. Women without previous director experience at publicly traded companies are gaining a larger share of seats on S&P 500. Female board members are also younger on average than their male counterparts. And from a sector perspective, utilities, um, consumer defensive, and consumer cyclical have 30% or more women on boards, while energy remains the only sector with less than 25% women. And while women average around 25% board representation for the financial services sector in the US, the percentage of women serving on boards um, of companies in MSCI European Financials Index increased from 37% last summer to 42% at the beginning of this year. And that is because in Europe, the EU formally adopted a new law requiring 40% female representation among non-executive directors, or 33% among all directors by 2026. According to European Women on Boards Gender Diversity Index, 30% of all leadership positions and 35% of boards are women. And also all Asian economies have also witnessed an improvement in board female ratios um, driven by regulations since 2012. On average, current MSCI AC Asia Pacific Index constituent board female ratios have improved from 7 uh, to 16% um, since 2012. And this has been led by Malaysia, seeing improvement from 11 to 30%, followed by Australia from 18 to 36%, uh, and Japan from 2 to 15%. The recent introduction of disclosure rules from several Asian um, regulators have also helped prompt companies to set board diversity targets and continue to raise awareness of this issue in the region. There's also been notable uh, progress for women in C-suites. As of the beginning of this year, 53 CEOs out of Fortune 500 companies are women, bringing female CEOs to 10% after being stuck at the 8% mark for years. Having a female CEO at the helm of a company or chairing its board can influence overall diversity metrics across the organization and impacting the corporate culture. Despite a record number of women as CEOs, however, trust in women leaders has been falling. 
Data from the Reykjavik Index for Leadership, which is an annual survey of 14,000 people, compares how men and women are viewed in terms of suitability for positions of power. And it shows that trust in women uh, leaders has fallen considerably throughout the year. This is the first decline since inception of the survey in 2018, um, and this mirrors a similar drop in perception of female political leaders seen. And finally, this year, the Official Monetary and Financial Institutions Forum highlights the improvements in representation of women um, in global finance. While women in finance have made gains in current representation is at historical highs, representation across the industry remains low in absolute levels. OMFIM's Gender Balance Index tracks the number of senior positions held by women at central banks, public pension funds, sovereign funds, and commercial banks. And all four groups improved their GBI scores um, over the past years, with pension funds showing the highest scores, followed by commercial bank, which saw the biggest lift, then central banks. Sovereign funds were the least balanced among the group. Thanks, Stella, Joyce, and Sam. I want to thank our listeners for joining us today. Please stay tuned for more episodes of All Into Account, J.P. Morgan's Global Research Podcast Series. This communication is provided for information purposes only. Please read J.P. Morgan's research reports related to its content for more information, including important disclosures. Copyright 2023, J.P. Morgan Chase & Company. All rights reserved. This episode was recorded on March 16, 2023.